It's funny when we say that we're going to talk about the roles of husbands and wives. We get tight, our muscles get tight. And we get serious. The thing of it is, is that God's way is the best way. So when we hear what the Bible has to say about roles of husbands and wives, we should get excited. Because we're going to hear truth. We're going to, have tr- we're going to hear truth that's going to be, bring joy and, and contentment and fulfillment and experience marriage as God intended it to be. And get what God intends is always best. Right? That's a good place to say amen. Last week we looked at uh, kingdom mission, looking at kingdom mission for your marriage, at being kingdom focused with your marriage, that your marriage has a purpose here on earth, that God has a purpose for your marriage, and that is to expand the kingdom. That, that is to invite people into the kingdom of God. And this week we're going to look at how kingdom focused marriages are influenced by the new creation in our union with Christ. See, what we don't understand is the gospel is the answer for all things. And the gospel is the answer for your marriage. The truth, the new creation reality truths of who you are in Christ will radically change your marriage. It will radi- for those that aren't married, it will radically change your relationship with other people. The gospel is the answer. See, we don't go into marriage. We don't look at our husband. We don't look at our wife through the lens of the gospel, do we? We don't look at our children through the lens of the gospel. We are very carnal when it comes to our marriages. We are very carnal when we come to our children. We, we do it almost identically as the world does it, and we look no different, and we, most of the time we get the same results. We need to look at our relationships through Christ, through who you are with Christ, through your union with God. And that's what we're going to do today. In 1 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, or a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation in him, and the old has passed away and the new has come, you should look radically different than the world. Our marriages should look radically different from the world. The way that we live should look radically different from the world. Do you want to know what the answer is to every single issue that you ever face in your marriage? No? You don't want to know? Here's the answer. Here's the answer for every single issue you will ever face in your marriage. Be like Christ. Be like Christ. It's interesting that we live in a culture. It's interesting that we live a time that the church, we need to tell the church. Christians need to be told that they need to be like Christ. This isn't for the super saints. The call to be like Christ is not for the super duper saints. This is Christianity 101. That you have given up your life. You have given up your life, and now you choose to allow Christ to live for you. This is the answer to all life's conflicts. It's the answer to to ending strife in your marriage. Every single marriage goes through moments of disagreements, anger, and failures. But you must determine what is your goal. What is the goal in your marriage? 
What matters most to you? Does winning the argument matter most or resembling Christ? It's easy to get blinded in the heat of an argument. All we want to do is win, even if winning means we have to sin. We can get so mad, so caught up in the heat of argument, so caught up in wanting to be right that we will win at any cost, even if that means sinning against the ones that we say we love the most. Usually the winner of a disagreement is the one who ends up looking the least like Jesus. I love to win. I love to win. Doesn't matter if it's like sports, games, what Uno. I've been known to cheat. I love to win. Amanda loves to win. And when you have two people that love to win, it can cause issues. When I lose an argument, I think of things later that I should have said. I know you guys never do that. And we know what a great feeling it is. What a great feeling it is when we say something that shuts down our opponent. We love to win. It might surprise you, but me and Amanda have disagreements. I know that's a shock. But we do. We have disagreements. We have disagreements on who sung a particular song. Was it the Black Crows or was it the Counting Crows? It was the Black Crows. We have disagreements on, does four-wheel drive help you to stop faster on icy roads? We have stupid disagreements. But we also have more serious disagreements. Like how to raise our children, how to spend our money, and how to spend our time. And we both love winning. And I'm guessing that We're not the only ones. The question is, is do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? We do do not have time to go through all the different attributes of what Jesus is like. So we're going to concentrate on one attribute that I think is the foundation of successful marriages. One attribute of Jesus that will solve the majority of all of your marital problems. And that's humility. 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 If two people will make it their goal to demonstrate the humility of Christ, everything else will take care of itself. Arguments escalate when two people want to be right more than they want to be like Christ. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, But he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. For people like me that like to win, this should be a terrifying scripture. 
Because what God says that, that usually a winner in an argument, the one that is the least like Christ, the one, one that is prideful and arrogant and proud, that you might win the argument, but in winning that argument, you gain a new opponent. And that is God. God says he opposes those that are proud. And for you that humble yourself and seem to get taken advantage of, you that give in even when you are right, you have a new warrior that fights for you, and that's God. God loves the humble. God actively fights against proud people. The pride that is required to defeat, defeat your enemy and win gives you God as an opponent. And is there anything worse than fighting God? God fights for the humble. He pours out his grace upon the humble. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what we signed up for when you chose to become a Christian. I know a lot of you thought all you were doing was getting out of hell for free card. That you were just going to heaven. But this is Christianity. Christianity is choosing to make Jesus the Lord of your life, seeing yourself dead unto the old man and alive in Christ. And as I said, this isn't just for the super saints. This is Christianity 101. This is how we are to live our lives. Colossians 3.3, 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's that union, that mystical union of you united with God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You have died, and Christ is your life. Now, with this in mind, that you have died and Christ is now your life, we're going to look at one of the most well-known passages of Scripture on marriage. Ephesians chapter 5. Marriage is to reflect Christ and the church. And that's what Ephesians chapter 5 is all about. We live in a time when most people distrust and dislike authority. That is rampant in our society, in our culture. We live in a time when people dislike, distrust authority. We, we do not honor those in authority. And you might be thinking, we don't honor our bosses we don't honor our teachers. We don't honor our principals. We don't honor our fathers and mothers. And you're thinking, they don't deserve my honor. Yes, they do. Honor is given. Respect is earned. You have to honor them. But they need to earn your respect. Just like we're supposed to... Submission. We submit to one another in the love of Christ. Submission 
is given, respect is earned. Obedience to biblical roles of the husband and wife in marriage is a beautiful way for the world to see how wonderful it can be to follow godly leadership. Because it represents Christ in the church. The world gets to see what it looks like to follow the lordship of Jesus Christ through our marriages. Question. Could the ugliness of most marriages be a direct reflection on our culture's rebellion against any type of authority? Because the family is the foundation of a nation, of a culture. The family is a foundation. Could it be the disrespect in the way that husbands and wives treat each other has a direct response on how our culture disrespects all authority? Another question. Could we change our culture by portraying the beauty that is found in the following passages that we're going to look at? See, you, we, can't, we can't listen to this message out of context about what we've been talking for for the last couple of months. The church is to influence the world, to show that there's a better way, that there's a kingdom way, there's kingdom purposes. And we can influ- influence our communities by portraying what, how God intended marriage to be. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their wives As their own bodies, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother, and they and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So today, we're going to look at the passages that speak to the man. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. But how? How are we to love our wife? Do we love it like our neighbor loves his wife? Do we love it how the sitcoms tell us to love each other? Or the movies or Hollywood? How, how do we love our wives? Well, the Bible tells us that we are to love our wives as Christ loves 
the church. We are to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Men, we have been given a tremendous responsibility. We have been given a tremendous task. We have been given the responsibility and the task of being like Jesus to our wives. Our love should remind our wives of the Lord Jesus Christ. As life goes on, the more, they fe- the, the, the more that they should feel and be reminded of Jesus. This is huge. Husbands, the husband is to be so selfless that it should remind their wives of the cross. The husband should have a standard of purity that the wife never has a reason to doubt his faithfulness. The husband should be so truthful that his wife should never doubt that he would ever waver from his vows. This is our responsibility, men. We are responsible to represent Christ to our wives. Some women have a hard time with these passages. They think that the role of the man is easier than the role of the wives. My question is, really? Are you reading the same passage of Scripture? I understand. I understand that the role of wife is di- difficult, but the role of a husband is equally difficult. They're commanded to love in the same way that Christ loved the church. And that's a, a, exactly a walk in the park. Both roles are equally impossible. But thank God we don't live according to the flesh. Thank God we don't live by our own strength. Thank God we're not asked to do it by our own ability. We're to do it through the Spirit. We are to do it by walking in the Spirit. We are to do it by, by first receiving from Christ. Christ's love is not passive, men. But it's active. And it's aggressive. It's just not words. It's not even a feeling. It's not just some emotions. It's love in action. You cannot love like Christ without hurting. Jesus gave up his place in heaven. He became a man. He submitted himself and became a servant. And then he willingly laid down his life for his bride, for the church. You cannot love like Christ and not hurt, not experience pain, not experience suffering, not being humble, not without putting others before you. This is why we are called over and over to live life through Christ Right? The life that you now live, you live in Christ. We are called to live in Christ and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to have the type of marriage that God wants for us. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be a husband that God expects us to be. You need to be dependent daily on the Holy Spirit. See, we think that the Holy Spirit was just given so, so we can do 
shows on Sunday morning so people can wow. And yes, the Holy Spirit does the miraculous, healings, prophecy, words of wisdom, all of these things. But I'm telling you, a godly marriage speaks more volumes about what the gospel of Jesus Christ than all the miracles in the world. And it transforms generations. It transforms generations. We husbands have to remind ourselves daily to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We must remember why Christ made the sacrifice he did. Why did Jesus Christ make the sacrifice that he did? Because if Jesus Christ is our role model as husbands, we got to find out why did Jesus do the things that he did? Why did he love till it hurt? Why did he lay down his life? What was the reason? What was his motive for doing what he did? Ephesians 5.26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should, that, but that she would be holy and blameless. Why did Christ sacrifice himself for his bride? Because he was preparing us to meet God. Jesus did everything that he did so that we would be prepared to meet God. Can you imagine if he did not? Can you imagine meeting God in your own righteousness? Can you imagine meeting God in your own holiness? Can you imagine meeting God in your own ability, dripping with the stench of sin? What a terrible, terrifying experience. And because of what Jesus did, because of his love and what he did for his bride, we can find ourselves having no spot, no wrinkle, that we are holy and blameless, and we can enter into the joy of our salvation. If husbands are to love like Christ, then we need to be concerned with our own wife's sanctification. The most loving thing a husband can do is lead his wife into a deeper relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? Men... You will need to encourage her in her time alone with God. And sometimes that includes sacrificing to make sure she has the time, especially if she works, raises the kids, cleans the house, and does so much. You're going to have to sacrifice your time that she has the time to be alone with God, to be ministered to God, by God. Men, you will need to remind her not to love the world or the things of the world and keep her focused on the eternal. Keep her focused on the mission. Keep her focused on your kingdom mission together. Because we can get so tangled up in the trappings of comparing ourselves to the Joneses, comparing ourselves to the other people, and be so concerned about the things of the world when that's not to be our concern at all, 
Because God says that he knows you need those things. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those other things will follow. Men, it's our responsibility to keep our families focused. Keep our wives focused. Men, you must encourage, encourage and call out her gifts and the Holy Spirit abilities as you pursue the mission of the kingdom together. Jesus never subdues. He always uplifts. He always calls people into their true calling in God. He, he, he always encourages them. He's always in faith. He's always spur, spurring them on. And that, men, is our responsibilities as representing Jesus to our wives. You are on the same team. Her victory is your victory. Men, have you ever considered your role of a husband in these terms? By the looks on your guys' faces, I think we need a little motivation. So here's your motivation. Be self-centered. See, God knows, man, and he knows that we're self-centered. I'm very self-centered. I think I'm out myself every day. There isn't a day that goes by, I don't think, that I don't think about myself. And that's a good thing. Why? Because God calls us to love our neighbors as our self. So you can use your self-centeredness as a positive thing. Ephesians tells us how self-centeredness can be used to our advantage in our marriages. Verse 28, so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own body loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. You don't have to be reminded to nourish and cherish your own body, do you? To take care of yourself. We do it naturally. And we are to see our wives as an extension of our self. You are one flesh. You are one. I've shared this before, and I'll share it again. There was a, uh, a men's movement that was going back in the 90s called Promise Keepers. And one thing that a man spoke, there's lots of things that were spoken. This is one thing that stuck out of me. There were seven promises the promise keeper kept. It wasn't just about keeping your promises. It was specific promises. Unfortunately, I can't remember what they all were. But I do remember this. He says, you have no right to call yourself a promise keeper if your wife does not call you a promise keeper. See, I can look at your wife and see how much you love yourself. Because your wife is a representation of you. Your wife is a representation of you. They're an extension of our own self. And this is truly amazing. 
This is a truly amazing concept. Why should husbands love their wives as their own body? Because that is what Christ does for us. Think about this. This is what Christ does for us. He nourishes, he cherishes us because we are members of his body. Most of us don't believe that. Most of us are so prideful, we won't even submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We won't let him nourish us. We won't let him cherish us. Don't miss this promise right here. Jesus cares for you as if he is caring for his own body. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus wants to take care of you in the same way that he'd take care of himself? This should overwhelm us with rejoicing. This should get us excited, excited, excited. That what is Jesus lacking? Does Jesus lack anything? No. He doesn't lack anything. And in the same way, he wants to take care of you. But do you trust him to do so? Do you empower Jesus to do so? Most wives don't empower their husbands to lead. Most wives don't empower their husbands. They don't trust their husbands enough to take care of them. That's next week. Men, do you believe that Jesus wants to take care of you? This should overwhelm us with rejoicing. Jesus is not lacking anything. We need to meditate deeply on all the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. We are to live by faith in what Christ has done. But we don't. Isn't it something when we start preaching the gospel, we realize how much we're not participating in it? How much we're not participating in the gospel? How much faith we don't have in what Jesus Christ has done? How we are self-made, how we're prideful, how we're arrogant, how we are constantly depending on our own strength. A man's blueprint to marriage. We become overwhelmed by Christ's care for us. I preach this every single week. This is the third week. So the last three weeks, I preach this. You must become dependent on what Christ has done for you. You cannot, uh, a dead spouse cannot have a living marriage. If you're, not, if you're not alive in Christ, if you don't have his spirit flowing through you, if you're not dependent on the gifts, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all of those things, we must become dependent and overwhelmed by Christ's care for us, and by receiving from Christ, we give. So we are to be overwhelmed by Christ's care for us, so we shower our wives with the same love we receive from God. Then people are shocked by our extravagant love towards our wives. As a result, we are given an opportunity to tell them about the love of Christ that compels us. This is kingdom marriage. This is the responsibility of a husband in a godly, kingdom-focused marriage. Very few marriages look this way. Very few marriages work this way. We claim to have the Holy Spirit living in us, 
but we live ordinary lives. Our marriages are ordinary. Our marriages are no different than anybody else's marriages. We have God living within us. There should be a marked difference between a Christian marriage and a worldly marriage. Enough to make people compelled to chase after Christ with us. Men, we need to focus on Christ and come to a revelation of our own union with him as a member of his body, own body. We need to find our security and worth, men. You need to find your security and worth in being a child of God. You need to find your security and your worth in being a child of God and a member of Christ's body. A member of Christ's body in which he nourishes us, he cherishes us, and he enables us to do the same for our wives. When we do it, it will manifest joy. When you're dependent on God, when you're receiving from God, it will manifest joy in your life. It will, it will cause life. You, you will come alive in God. Because you have been removed from the burden of doing it under your own power, and you're doing it effortlessly, resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, resting in his supply, resting in him serving you. I'll talk about that in a second. And it's this joy in him that motivates us to follow his example. People will marvel when they observe your kingdom-focused marriage. In John chapter 13, verse 14, if I, this is Jesus talking, if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have demonstrated an example for you to mirror. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus washed the disciples' feet and then told them to do that to one another. He did not ask them to wash his feet. We talk about serving in the church. We talk about having a servant's heart. We talk about being humble. The church has no clue We are so infiltrated by the world's thoughts process. If I was to make this following statement in most churches, they would think that it was blasphemous. When's the last time you allowed Jesus to wash your feet? When's the last time you allowed Jesus to serve you? When's the last time you allowed God to serve you? And you're thinking, that's blasphemous. How dare you say that God serves us? God serves no one. He is all-powerful. He is all-wisdom. He is is all-omnipotent. He has everything. And how dare us, as his creation, think that he should serve us? You carnal thing. That's the world's way of thinking. Jesus says, the servant, the least, is the greatest. So who's the greatest? 
God. And if God's the greatest, he's the biggest server. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. See how twisted our thinking is? Serving is the greatest thing in the world. The greatest being in the world. God Almighty is a servant. In Revelations, it talks about Jesus has a golden apron. What do you need an apron for? Because he's, oh, he's a servant. God, Jesus is constantly serving the church. He's cleansing her, washing her, preparing her, showing her how beautiful she is, holy and without blemish. He's constantly serving. Jesus says, I have washed your feet, now you wash others' feet. God does not expect you to wash his feet. Jesus does not expect you to wash his feet. He expects you to allow him to wash your feet. And by allowing him to serve you, he empowers you to serve others. Men, as Jesus cares for you, you too are to care for your wife. And if you're not allowing Jesus to care for you, you won't have it in you to care for your wife. You're empty. You don't have the power. You don't have the love. You do not have the ability to serve your wife if you're not allowing Jesus to serve you, if you're not be, being dependent on Jesus, if you're not taking from Jesus. The woman at the well, Jesus showed up at the well, and the woman, there was a woman at the well, and Jesus showed up. He was tired. He was thirsty. The disciples went and got food. And what did the woman do? She took from Jesus. He started ministering to her. And she started taking from Jesus. And as she took from Jesus, Jesus was empowered. And when the disciples got back, they said, Who is this woman and who fed Jesus? Jesus, God gets empowered by you taking from him. He's an endless supply. Don't worry, he's not going to run out. He gets great joy when by faith you reach out and you take from him. And you take some more, and you take some more, and you take some more. You take to the point where you're like David, where you say, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My cup is overflowing. That's what God wants you to do. Do you understand that there is no end of resources with God? When he fills up your cup, he pours it. It's coming up, and it's filling up, and you're thinking, yeah, it's getting pretty full. And then all of a sudden it gets right to the rim, and you think, well, he's going to stop now. And he doesn't stop. And it's like, God, that's too much. Don't you see it's overflowing? It's coming all over the table. There's, there's an abundance. You've got to stop it. And he just keeps pouring, and it keeps pouring, and it keeps pouring. But most of us, we're not even sitting at the table. We're down at the, uh, underneath the table begging for scraps. And we, as Christian men, need to sit at the table of our Lord and receive from God so we can give to our families, so we can give to our wives. And if men, if you refuse to sit at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ and receive from him, 
do the rest of us a favor. Stay off our toes while you're down there. I'm going to sit at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive from him. I'm going to allow him to serve me because the greatest, he's the greatest server in the world. And I'm not going to allow my mind to be perverted to think that he needs anything from us. That he, he doesn't need our worship. It's a response. Our worship is a response to what he has done. Our love for him is just a response to what he's done for us. Those that have received much love from Christ love him much. Our obedience is a response. It's all a response. He's the initiator. So I leave you with this question. I leave you with men with this question, and I'm right here with you. This is what I want for my marriage. This is what I want to be. So I leave us with this question, and I leave us with this challenge. Men... Will people marvel when they observe your kingdom-focused marriage? Will the world marvel when they see how you love your wife? Will the world marvel when they see how you love your children? Will the world marvel? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the example of Jesus Christ, and we thank you that you never call us to anything that we are unable to do, that we are powerless to do. Because what you've called us to do isn't in our own strength. It's in our, not in our own ability. It's not in our own wisdom but it's through walking in the Spirit. This morning, Lord, we just ask that, that you would sear into our consciousness, that, that our minds would be renewed to our role as a husband. Our role as a husband to our wives. Our role to prepare them to meet God. To make them see Jesus in the flesh when they look at us. And we become dependent on your ability working through us. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that when we fail to look like Christ, You're right there to encourage us. You're right there to empower us. You're right there to allow us to be humble and ask for forgiveness from our wives, to ask forgiveness from our children, to repent. And we get to try again. Father, we love your grace. We love your mercy. We love the example of Christ and his marriage to the church. And through the Holy Spirit, we will have marriages. We will have marriages that causes the world to marvel. To marvel. And we call it done. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www 
www.charisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.